Someone has asked, um, during sitting meditation, when I rest in the breath, at some point I feel sleepy. How to avoid this? <laughs> uh, this is a, an extremely common experience. Um, the way that, that, that sleepiness and dullness works in meditation is exactly the, the same as other sleep states. Uh, when, you, when you're wanting to sleep, you putting your head on the pillow and so on, so that uh, it, it goes in cycles. So if you can spot where the mind is starting to go into the beginning of a, a sleep cycle, and uh, then the, the mind is sort of restrained from going into that, then it can um, uh, see, uh, prevent that whole dull state taking over. So the trick is to uh, uh, to catch it at the beginning, essentially. And if you know that the mind drifting into, into dullness is a strong habit, then uh, a way to, to work with that is to meditate with your eyes open. And so uh, if you take, uh, uh, <clears throat> so along with, say, focusing on the breath in this instance, if you have your eyes open, resting on a, a, uh, a single uh, object, or maybe a, a a few, uh, few feet, a meter or two in front of you, then as the mind starts to go into a sleep state, then the image will go from a single integrated image to being a double one, assuming both of your eyes work. Um, and so that, uh, that, that's the, sort of the beginning of a sleep cycle, the eyes relax and so your, your, your vision separates. So if you take that visual image and you can take a picture on the wall or a Buddha image or a plant or uh, something that's not moving, like don't, don't focus on your cat because the, you know, the, the cat will no doubt start moving. <laughs> but if you take a, a, like a, an image, like a Buddha, a Buddha image or a plant or a, uh, a simple picture, then as the image starts to separate, then that's the, the, the clue. Okay, the mind is drifting into a, into a dull state. So uh, then that, uh, say, can be the, um, the trigger to initiate a greater quality of, of alertness. So catching it at the beginning is very helpful. Also, um, if, you, uh, if you want to have your eyes closed and um, you, you find that d disturbing to have your eyes open, you can't concentrate so well, then you can use, um, uh, uh, say, a tactile object. So some, you can take something like a, um, so you have a, a pen top <laughs> and you can put that, say, between your thumbs, if you can all see. So then similarly, as the mind starts to go into a sleep state, then along with the eyes relaxing, then your, your thumbs will relax. And so that the, uh, the, the pen top or whatever it is you've taken between your fingers, a matchbox is good, um, then it drops down and you, you feel it touching your fingers. And so uh, I've done this a lot over the years. Back in the, the early days, I was uh, quite prone to, to sleepiness. And it was always astonishing to me that when you thought you were being wide awake, then over and over again, you would find, you would feel the, the thing, sort of, or a matchstick is equally good, dropping from between your fingers, or you'd see your, your vision blurring. And part of your mind is going, I'm not sleepy. <laughs> I'm wide awake. But... If you were wide awake, you wouldn't have dropped the, the match or the pen top or whatever it is. 
um, you can use something like a needle, but that's more like um, self-torture because you'll end up piercing your skin repeatedly. So I wouldn't recommend that. But a matchstick or the top of a pen or something uh, fairly light. So then, because our fingers are very sensitive and they can detect very easily when something lands on them. So that uh, that's quite a reliable um, measure. Also, uh, if you, um, another one I found that was quite helpful because I would find my, my head would start to, to droop forward. If you have a, somewhere in your home, if you have a, a wall with an external angle, so if you sit with your back against the external angle, so that the back of your head is, is touching that, that corner of the wall that stands out, if you see what I mean, so that it's, it's sort of going up your spine and then touching the back of your head, then again, it's, it's, quite, it's quite remarkable how easily the head starts to drift forward. And you can, you can tell because you're no longer feeling the, the sensation of the that angle of the wall touching the back of your, of your head. And also because it's a straight line, then it's, it's helpful to, uh, to notice how the, if the back is tilting to one side or another. I am slightly lame in my right foot, so my spine tends to, to tilt over to the right side. My hips are a bit twisted, so I have strong tendencies to, to tilt over to the side because that's the way my body adjusts itself. And so um, I, I use this method quite a lot just to get to know when I was sitting straight, when I wasn't sitting straight, and 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 then also noticing when my mind was getting dull, and uh, and and then being able to catch it at the beginning. If you catch it at the beginning, and then that becomes a, a say a a, a initi something that initiates the brightening of the mind, then usually you get so sort of two or three waves of dullness, and then it it dissipates. For most people, it's not the same for everyone, but for most people, after two or three waves of dullness then the system goes, okay, we're awake, something's happening, stay, stay tuned. And uh, that seems to be how the whole system operates. I see there's um, another message has come in, a couple have come into the chat. Dear Ajahn, how can we motivate ourselves to make the effort to practice daily, especially make meditation a daily practice? Is the practice more important than reading or listening to the Dhamma? Thank you. Um, very good question. Um, well, the, uh, the, um, the thing that Ajahn Chah uh, would emphasize was that uh, it's by uh, really appreciating the, the, the pain that comes from attachment and identification, that's what really motivates us. And we see the, the, the difficulty we're creating for ourselves and for people around us then uh, pain often is a great motivator. So recognizing, uh, you know, I, I'm making so much difficulty for myself. I, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. And so that then rather than avoiding uh, dukkha or difficulty, uh, that sense of discord, uh, allowing that into the, the heart, really appreciating that and recognizing, yeah, I'm getting caught in this uh, over and over again. This is painful and letting that, that um, psychological pain be something that, that motivates us. Um, it, it's, tr it's tricky because you don't want to have the, uh, the kind of I should tyrant come in and say, you know, <laughs> bad meditator, you know, you should, <laughs> you, try, you, know, you should try harder, like on a, your sort of school report, uh, should try harder, you know, <laughs> could do better. Um, so one wants to avoid that kind of um, 
uh, creating a, like an inner tyrant, making a commentary. But I find that the more wordless appreciation there is, is that, that when the mind has followed a, 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 an unskillful track or has gone into being sort of lazy or disconnected, to say, okay, now what's the result of this? Ow. <laughs> Just letting that ow, that, that painful quality be appreciated, then that encourages us to, to, to do um, make more effort and to, to be more focused to sustain the practice. There's a few more coming in now. How do you maintain right intention to meditate and stick to it without involving the self and saying, I need to meditate? Very good question. Um, the getting to know uh, that, so whenever you sit down to meditate or do walking meditation, just to ask that question, what's the motivation? Am I doing this because I should, or you know, the, uh, uh, that's, uh, there's some sense of obligation, or where's this coming from? And again, not to create too much conceptual proliferation around it, but just to ask that question, what's the motivation here? Is this, um, is there, how much me and mine is there in this? And you're not looking for an answer, but just raising the question, it helps to illuminate those self-centered attitudes. And so then simply by remembering to ask the question, and you can put it on a little sign at the bottom of your Buddha image, like <laughs> how, much, how much me is there involved here? And just to create those kind of reminders. Okay, uh, next one. Uh, regarding right harmonious action, you previously mentioned Hiriotapa, conscience and concern. Can Hiriotapa guide right effort too? Uh, I don't think I've mentioned that today, but I have in the past. Yes, yeah, so uh, for those who are not familiar, Hiriotapa is uh, uh, um, uh, it's, uh, similar it's, uh, to what I was saying about recognizing the, the painfulness of, of, of not practicing or, or getting caught up in our attachments. It's to do with um, the results of unskillful action. And, and, th and speech. So you can call hiri the moral sensitivity um, or conscience. Um, and then uh, otapa is variously translated. Uh, it can be a, a wise fear or concern about consequences. That, so that, like I was saying about standing on the edge of the pavement and looking before you cross the road to make sure you, uh, it's, a, it's a useful fear. <laughs> you know, if this is followed, what's gonna happen? Um, and not acting in a rash way, or I am um, being thoughtful and being concerned about your choices. It can also be referring to unskillful action in other people. So uh, that sense of recoiling when you see unwholesomeness or you know, indulgence or dishonesty in others, violence in others, it's that recoiling in the heart. So um, similarly, that Hiri and Otapa, they can be a, um, uh, uh, and uh, say a contributing uh, force uh, to support that sense of uh, uh, wanting to, to practice, being interested to practice for, for the benefit of this being and all beings because of seeing the, the painful results of acting in ways that are dishonest or indulgent or, or selfish and so on. And then another one, regarding the Eightfold Path and right harmonious action, I oh, know that's the same one, um, I'll see. Uh, if so, how can these be cultivated? Again, very similarly, um, that Hiri and Otapa is uh, the, tr the 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 main element is not to take them person personally. So when Hiri and Otapa are grasped or identified with, 
then it turns into a kind of toxic guilt. Uh, I'm a bad person. I shouldn't be this way. I'm so terrible. You know, I should be punished. This is really unforgivable. You know, I, I, what I've done is really, it, it's damage has been done and can't be undone. So that's where the self-view takes hold of Hiri and Otapa and, uh, and makes it more of a cause for suffering. So uh, the, the, the skill is being able to receive those. Well, this was done. This is the result. Ow. You know, I said something that wasn't quite true. Remembering that, that untruthfulness, it's painful. So rather than I'm a liar or I'm dishonest or I'm really careless with my speech, and, you know, I'm a terrible person, to not let self-view come into it, but rather to see this is the cause, this is the effect, and the effect is painful. So therefore, let that uh, be a source of guidance for, for cho how choices are made in the future. So you're rather like physical pain. You know, if you, if you know you overstretched yourself on that, on that hike and you, you, you pulled up uh, your muscle climbing up that, <laughs> that steep slope, then, you know, okay, be more careful next time. It took me six weeks to recover from that, from that strained ligament. So, okay, don't be so zealous or be thoughtful about what you're taking on next time. So pain teaches us. So in this way, psychological pain is a, also a very good teacher, but it, it's, uh, again, self-view very easily slides in and takes over, and, and so it becomes uh, a, a, um, uh, an issue of guilt but uh, Hiri and Otapa, uh, in their most effective, they're completely uh, selfless. So that uh, it's said in, this, in the teachings that an arahant has really acute sense of Hiri and Otapa. So like an arahant, uh, it, it's, it's impossible for them to tell a lie or to de deliberately take the life of another living being. It's like the Hiri, uh, Hiri Otapa is so strong um, that uh, they literally can't carry out those actions. And so the more spiritually mature one is, the stronger they get, but also there's no sense of self in the mind of an arahant. So that that inability to lie or to take the life of another or to, to treat others disrespectfully, that, that's sort of a natural result of that kind of acute sensitivity. And so that it's uh, developing hiri and otapa free of self-view. Um, and then, so when we, uh, we look at, and, and in terms of cultivating them, look at, I uh, say, the, uh, the effects of our actions and our, our words and our attitudes and, and uh, to consider, okay, what was beneficial, what was not beneficial, what was wholesome, what was unwholesome, and looking at those with, a, with, a, uh, with the eye of nature, looking at them with the eye of Dhamma, seeing them in terms of nature, rather than I should be this way, I shouldn't be that way, I'm a, I'm a bad person, or I used to be a bad person, now, now I'm a good person. You know, all of that creates more, uh, more, more tension and, uh, and suffering, disharmony in the heart. Um, so I see it's now just gone past 12.30. So please uh, uh, have a, uh, uh, a time for your lunch and whatever you need to do, this part, middle part of the day. And then we will reconvene um, at 1.15.